Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your intentions for our lives. Thank you, Lord, for your availability to us. Thank you that you're always ready, Father, to give to us what we need. So, Father, we come this morning and we desire to hear from you. We need to hear from you. So, Lord, we just position ourselves and say, speak to us, Spirit of God. Amen. Amen. Now, I love that uh, song that we were singing, um, uh, Your Presence. What was it? Your presence is welcome here. Do you know what that song is really saying? It's not saying your presence is welcome here. It's saying your presence is welcome here. Because when his presence is here, it will be here. But when his presence isn't here, it won't be here. And that's sort of where I want to go. This morning. You know, the Bible says this, it says, we enter his courts with thanksgiving in our hearts. I trust this morning that in that time of praise and worship, that you came with an attitude of gratitude. Because that attitude of gratitude, that thanksgiving brings you through the gate. But better than that, the Bible says that we enter his courts with praise. It's really important that when we have a time of praise and worship, that we all enter in. Because when we enter in, we come into the courts. You know, it's really awkward. You imagine somebody coming to our place. You're more than welcome to come to our place, by the way. <laughs> My wife has this magic pot that always has enough food in it. But if you came to our place and you stood out at the gate, it's really difficult to have a conversation. My hearing aid needs to be turned right up and then I probably won't hear you anyway. You need to come through the gate. You need to come close. I pray this morning that in your heart you're saying, Lord, I'm coming close. Lord, I want to hear. You know, it's been really interesting for my darling and I coming back to Kaitaia. For about 18 months, my wife has been wanting to come back to Kaitaia. And the reason that she wanted to come back was because where we were, the headlines about Kaitaia weren't good. One of them said, homicide capital of New Zealand. And my wife wanted to come back here because she wanted to smack the devil around the ears. Well, actually, she wanted to do more than that, but you get the idea. And I was quite happy where we were. We were in a church that was really happening. It was great. But, you know, like they say, happy wife. <laughs> happy life. Uh, but I knew deep down that it was in God's plan and purpose that we come back. Do you know the Bible says this? The Bible says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that includes our region, my friends. You know, in Psalm 2, the, the, the psalmist is talking about, it, talking about the relationship of the Father and the Son. And it's, he says this, he says to the Son, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. God said to Jesus, 
ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. I want to tell you that when God says something like that, then the nations becoming the inheritance of Jesus is certainly a possibility. If not a yes and amen. amen. Hey, some people are awake. That's great. In Mark chapter 4, and I'm a bit of a nightmare because we, we could go anywhere this morning, John. I will get where we go. Jesus is talking and he tells a parable and he says this, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? He says this, It, the kingdom of God, is like a mustard seed. Now in another place he did talk about faith being the size of a mustard seed. But here in Mark chapter 4, he says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when it is planted, it grows and it becomes the largest of all garden plants. With such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its branches. I want to tell you, the kingdom of God is alive and well in our region. And when God planted that seed of his kingdom here, that, that kingdom that we're part of, it is a growing thing. It is an increasing thing. His kingdom will increase and keep increasing. It will never end. The seed of the kingdom of God is planted and as it's nurtured and as it's tended, it will become mature in our region. In Isaiah 9, it says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. In Micah chapter 4, it talks there about the, the, the church or the, the, the Lord's temple becoming the chief among the mountains. And there are many, many scriptures that talk to us about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God will increase, how the kingdom of God will be established. Revelation chapter 11 verse 15, it says, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our God. Jesus, when he taught us to pray, what did he say? Oh, God, help us because this is really, really difficult and hard. He said, no, no, no. You pray this. The kingdom of God that's in heaven be worked out here on earth. The will of God as it's done in heaven, let it be worked out here on earth. An ever-increasing, compelling kingdom that God wants visited. But you say, hang on a minute. We're in the far north. <laughs> We're in Kaitaia. Can you put the first slide up? Yeah, it's not very good, is it? It's the Valley of Dry Bones. Clearly, in our region, there are some amazing, amazing challenges. Yes, there's poverty. Yes, there's mental health issues. Yes, there's relationship problems. Yes, there are unresolved issues. There are hurts. There is unforgiveness. There are homicides. There are suicides. There is thieving. There is abuse. There are addictions. And we could go on. Is there a future? And is it good? Well, we're going to go and have a look at some keys to see the shift and change. Because I want to tell you this. That God can do anything He wants. He is the God of the impossible. But God limits Himself to working through His people. 
And if we aren't doing what we need to do, my friends, it will not happen. So God is not going to come and sprinkle magic miracle dust and go, oh, here you go. So, let's have a look at Ezekiel. First of all, Ezekiel was a priest and he was a prophet. He lived about the same time as Daniel, and like Daniel, he'd been taken captive. And uh, so he was living just outside Babylon, about 100 miles, about 160 k's down the road. And uh, he has some interesting, interesting things to say. He, he uh, as a prophet, saw some very interesting things. He saw wheels and wheels and all sorts of things. His name, interestingly, means God will strengthen. So we're going to be looking in the last part of Ezekiel and in the last chapters of Ezekiel from about chapter 33 on, what Ezekiel is talking about is a restoration and an increase. So we're in Ezekiel chapter 37. You've got that, John? And it says this, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of the valley. Nice place this. It was full of bones. Now you notice what happened here. It says, the hand of the Lord was on me, and the hand of the Lord put me in a cemetery. That's what it's saying. And I'd have to say that coming back, one, one way of looking at this region is, oh my goodness gracious me. I'd have to be honest and say that from the time that we left here, to the time we came back, there has been a change. And it's been downhill. And you can read the statistics, and I guess Cecil can fill you in on some of those. They back that up. The hand of the Lord took me and put me in a cemetery. You know, a cemetery is a place of no hope. The cemetery is a place that usually you avoid. I mean... It might be nice, the lawn might be mowed, but you don't usually go there for a picnic, do you? It's a place that always takes us to the past. A cemetery is an unproductive place. But the hand of the Lord, the scripture says, was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set us where? Folks, he set us here in the far north. He set us here in Kaitaia. Verse 2. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. And the bones were very dry. And he asks me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Just to make the point, the Spirit of the Lord speaks to Ezekiel, he takes him on a tour of the cemetery. And what's noteworthy about this tour of the cemetery is these bones are very dry and there's a whole lot of them. So there's a question. He, he asks this question and the question is, Ezekiel, can these bones live? He didn't say, Ezekiel, do you like it here? He didn't say, you know, Ezekiel, this could be this valley of bones. It could be a really nice valley. Just ignore the bones. 
He didn't say to him, Ezekiel, how on earth did it get this way? What happened? He says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Well, what do you say to a question like that? You're looking at a valley of dry bones. And they, they tell us that this valley was quite expensive, that there were millions of bones in this valley. Can these bones live? It's a cemetery, for heaven's sake. I mean, bones, that's all that's left. Don't you understand? Bones have no future. I can just imagine walking there with Ezekiel listening into his conversation or, or, or plugged into his, his thinking. Can these notes with you? Oh, are you kidding me? I mean, what would you have to do to make these bones live? We've got more technology than they have, but I think even with technology it would be a problem. But you see, Ezekiel knew God. He knew that God was a miracle-working God. He knew that with God there was always hope, even when it appears to be hopeless. He knew that impossible things become possible with God. He knew that there was always life after death. He knew that God was the giver of life. He knew that no cemetery could defy the living God. And for Ezekiel, Bones living was outside of anything he knew. It was outside of anything that he'd ever experienced before. But read on. A miracle happened. I don't think we've got any more of those verses from Ezekiel 37. Have we? Okay, well, I'll read a couple of them. So, do you know, before I left home, Ezekiel was in my Bible? Here he is, it was just hiding. So Ezekiel gets asked this question, can these bones live? And he says, Lord, you alone know. God, this is, this is your territory. This is, this is up to you. And then he said to me, prophesy to these dry bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Have you ever felt stupid saying things sometimes? In a cemetery... And you say, listen here. Don't say it very loud because somebody might hear. You bones. Do you hope this situation? You situation that people say can't be changed. Live! Oh no, we're doing it quietly. Live. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. If there's anything our region needs to hear, you know what it is? The word of the Lord. And he doesn't just need to hear the word of the Lord because somebody pious says, hear the word of the Lord. It needs, our region needs to hear the word of the Lord flowing from people full of the love of God, full of the compassion of God, full of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, because then the words will be heard. And you know as well as I do that you can walk into a cemetery and say a whole lot of things and nothing will happen. But when you say those things with the anointing and power of God on it, things do happen. I was talking to a guy before, 
about a, a friend of mine, and his wife was, he was a pastor, his wife was a bosom buddy of my wife, and uh, she she got cancer, and uh, they were in Te Aumutu, and, and this lady, Sally, she passed away, we'd visited a number of times, so <clears throat> they were taking her back to Gisborne, and so we jumped in our vehicle, and we drove to Gisborne, and uh, they had her body in the church in, in Gisborne, because her husband was the pastor of the church. And uh, we got down there just on evening in, in Ngāti Parai, we, we don't go into a room into a, 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 like that after dark, so we just made it. And it was interesting because they were staunch Ngāti Parai people, but they were having a church service. And after the church service, this guy gets up and he goes, oh, uh, Pastor Charles says, Glenn and Pauline are here, could you come and say something? So away we went and we, we did our thing and, and, and greeted the family. And then the crowd started to thin out because there was nowhere to, to sleep in this church. They were keeping Sally in the church. So we wanted to go and find a motel because it was a 12-hour drive down there. So her husband comes over to me and he goes, Oh, mate, 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 he said, there's been prophetic word over her life. He said, the stuff that we haven't done yet, this is not right. This is not right. It's not a time. I could see where this was going. And he says to me, you with me? And I said, yeah, bro. <laughs> of course I'm with you. And we, the truth was, we walked through some, some challenges together, this, this guy and I. Next morning, we get to the church early and church service was going to be at 10 o'clock and we got there about 7 o'clock Pauline Hayes being late and uh, Charlie comes up and he says to me um, bro, bro are you with me? I said yeah, because man God wants to raise her up <laughs> yeah bro <laughs> so we get into the funeral service and the guy that was preaching the funeral service he stops in the middle of his preaching and he says, Look, if anybody's got the Lord, word of the Lord, don't let me stop you. And my mate Charlie gets up and he walks up and he says, Take the lid off the casket. And he's not smiling. Oh, man. And then he says, If you've got faith to see her raised up, Come and stand with me because I don't believe it's her time and my Bible says that the dead can be raised. Oh man, I had super glue on my chair. <laughs> Couldn't get up. Well, there was one other guy I knew and telling the truth, he's a fruit loop. He goes up and stands next to my mate Charlie. And so Charlie prays. And while he's praying, this is what I'm thinking, bro, how are you going to get out of this? <laughs> The scariest thing was I had never in my life felt unbelief until that time. And you could feel unbelief. So I was a really good brother to my brother, wasn't I? So it comes to, oh, he'd, he'd said, okay, we'll pray. And then he said, look, can we sing Majesty? So he started singing that song, Majesty. And while they sang Majesty, he put the lid back on that casket. And they prayed. And we carried her out. Could Sally have lived? Yeah. 
Why wasn't she raised up? I, I think there were a whole lot of them, a whole lot of reasons, and probably one of them was me. But God can do miraculous and amazing things. And so here Ezekiel is sitting there and God is saying to him, what I want you to do, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy to these bones. I want you to start calling them to life. Now for me, when Charlie did that, it was outside my frame of reference. It was, it was something that I wasn't ready for. Sad. Sad. Who knows what might have happened. And so here Ezekiel is starting to declare something over these dead bones. Dry bones, he said, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath into you and you will come to life and I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin and I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. This is a neat verse. Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. Did you know that being obedient to what God says is one of the huge keys to seeing a shift in our region? And we're going to touch on that again in a minute. As I prophesied, there was a noise, a rattling sound. I wonder what he thought. Oh, we're in trouble now. There was a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. That's fine, so all these bones are now connected. Connected bones aren't much use, are they? There's a process happening here. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So now we had a whole lot of dead bodies. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life, and stood up on their feet, a vast army. My dear friends, I believe that that is more than possible for our region. But Ezekiel goes on, and in these chapters that follow, he starts to talk about the temple. And he gets into all these measurements of the temple and what's got to happen. So I want to join two interesting scriptures together. Can we flip over to Ezekiel chapter 47? I'm going to read this scripture, the first 12 verses of this, this chapter. So, like I've said, understand that in the preceding chapters, Ezekiel has been talking about the temple and the things that have to happen in the temple. So here we go, Ezekiel chapter 47. Wow. You'll need your glasses. Here we go. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out through the north gate and he led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was flowing from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and he led me through water that was ankle deep. 
He measured off another thousand cubits and he led me through the water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through the water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me and he said, Son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river, and when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region, and it goes down into the Arabah, where it empties into the sea. When it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be, a large, will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and it makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Did you hear that? Wherever this river goes, everything will live. Fishermen will, be, will stand along the shore from Engedi to Englan. There will be places for the spreading of nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Great Sea. But, you know, somebody said to me once, when you're in a conversation and you hear somebody go, but, it basically means wipe out everything that's just been said. But, the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear, because the water from the sanctuary, the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for healing. Now just for a minute, I want us to focus on the last part of that scripture, the second part. This amazing river has an incredible effect. From a valley of dry bones, Ezekiel moves to a different picture, this picture of this river. And this river provides an environment that is very, very productive. The Bible says wherever it goes, in, in verse, uh, the second part of verse 9, wherever it goes, wherever it flows, everything will live. Everything will live. Wow. There are a great number of trees. In, in, in the scripture, the tree, trees speak of righteousness. In the Amplified Bible, it says this. I think it's going to say, let me check. It says this. These waters pour out towards the eastern region and go down into the Arabah, the Jordan Valley and on into the Dead Sea. And when they enter into the sea, and the Amplified Bible says this, the sea of putrid waters, or stagnant waters, the waters shall be healed and made fresh. Wow. The river of God, when it flows, can come into our region and touch everything that is putrid, everything that is ungodly, everything that is unrighteous, everything that is negative, everything that is wrong, and see it changed and transformed. You know, they used to sing songs about 150 years ago, so Pauline and I are the only ones who know them. Let the river flow. Let the river flow. Jump, jump, jump in the river. I'll tell you stupid songs, and I'll tell you why in a minute. 
So he says that here by this river there are swarms of living creatures, great numbers. A swarm speaks of a, a collective group. It's speaking of whole groups of people being touched by God. Large numbers of fish, fish always speak of unsaved people being attracted by the life the river brings. It says there are fishermen in verse 10. You know how you get fishermen? Well, these sort of fishermen are the sort of fishermen that Jesus makes. They're called fishers of men. And these fishermen are standing there spreading nets. And the Bible has a lot to say about nets, and we're not going there right now. But salvation is abundant where the river flows. Many kinds of fish. Great numbers being saved. Understand this, that when the Bible talks about fish, unsaved people, being caught, it's not that we get a caught fish, because did you know that God does miracles? When somebody gets born again, they get changed from being a fish into being a sheep. <laughs> That's true. And did you know that sheep need looking after? Sheep need to be shorn, sheep need to be dagged, they need to be dipped. They need to be told where to go, they can be stupid things. And my friends, what is really vital is when we see God coming and transforming power, that it's not just to glory in the fact that somebody comes from a life of death into the life of God. What is vitally important is we do what the Bible says and we make disciples of them, baptizing them, teaching them to obey. Now we can easily get that mixed up and think that it means teach them what Jesus said, teach them what the Bible means. It's not what it says. Obedience is the key. And better not get sidetracked, eh? Verse 11, we better deal with verse 11 because it says, but swamps and marshes. Did you know that where there is a limited flow of water, you get a swamp and a marsh? Now the horrifying thing about this particular verse is this river came from the temple. And this river had an effect because there wouldn't have been a swamp or a marsh if water hadn't got there. It would just be a desert. But water from the temple got to this place, but because the flow wasn't a sufficient flow, the Bible says that it was left for salt. Nothing could live there. Man, for me, that is a salutary thing. Places where there is a limited flow of the river, place where, places where there is a restricted flow, they will not become fresh. They stay, as the Amplified Bible says, as putrid waters. The river gets there, but there's no power to do what's needed to be, do, to be done because the flow isn't a sufficient flow. A trickle or an immature flow gets to the place where it needs to go, but it has no effect. That's pretty salutary, isn't it? Shall we stop there? Better not. Verse 12 says, Fruit trees of all kinds will grow there. They will prosper. No withered leaves, no failure to fruit. Then, how about this? It says, every month they will bear. How would that be? 
I feel sorry for the tree. I just had, we had a citrus tree, an orange tree, that produced an amazing, amazing crop. And because it produced an amazing crop, you know what happened? It died. It fell over. Now, I could have had something to do with that, because probably some, some uh, manure and stuff might have been helpful. But anyway, every month. So what's happening? The trees that are fed by this river are hugely fruitful. Their fruit, the Bible says, will be for food and their leaves for healing. In Revelation chapter 22, the first two verses talk about the effect of the river and it talks about these trees that are by the river. And it says their leaves will be for healing of the nations. Pretty amazing. The Amplified Bible says their leaves shall not fade nor shall their fruit fail to meet the demand. Each tree shall bring forth new fruit every month. These supernatural qualities being because their waters come out of the sanctuary. It's pretty easy to look and see dry bones over your back fence when you walk downtown, when you go to the doctor's surgery, when you go past the courthouse on court day. You know what I'm saying. It's easy to see dead bones. The question is, can those bones live? Is it possible that the cemetery could become a habitation for trees of righteousness? Could it be possible that what was and is dead can be revived and restored? Is it possible that many fish can be brought in? Is it true that there can be many trees of righteousness thriving? Is it possible that you and I can be fruitful every season, every month, our fruit not failing? In other words, the fruit of our lives meets the demand for the life that we carry. Our leaves never fading and bringing healing. Now, this is where we want to go. Because don't we want to see that river flow? Well, we better find out about that river because I want to tell you it's not a magic river. God's not going to come along and go, Kaitai, here's a river. Magic does. No, that's not what happens. Let's have a look at the river. Let's have a look at what God said. So we're, we're going to be focusing on those first seven verses. And we've been in a hurry here. This life-giving, this revival-supplying river of restoration, this river has a beginning. It has a source. And the source is in the temple. Well, God, turn on the temple tap. Well, you see... This is what the deal is. The river's flow is determined by what happens in the temple. For there to be a flow out of the temple, there's got to be a flow in the temple. So the man who's conducting this tour around for Ezekiel takes him out to where the water flowed out of the temple. Now I want you to remember something. We individually are temples, and individually we have some responsibilities. But as we discharge our individual responsibilities, understand something, corporately we are a temple too. So what I do affects you, and what you do affects me. So, this man measures a thousand cubits, 
and he leads Ezekiel through the water and uh, he gets there and, and Ezekiel um, sees this thing and he, he walks through ankle deep, ankle deep water. That was the extent of the flow that was coming out of the temple. What was generated in the temple was ankle deep. So he says, hey listen, let's go for a walk a little bit further. So he takes him another thousand cubits and he says to Ezekiel, okay, let's have a look at this. So he leads Ezekiel through the water and Ezekiel goes, oh my goodness, it's up to my knees. Why was it up to his knees? Because that was the extent of the flow generated in the temple. And he goes another thousand cubits and um, he leads Ezekiel through the water and Ezekiel goes, wow, it's up to my waist. Why was it up, up to his waist? Because what was being generated in the temple was a waist-deep flow. <coughs> Question. Would a waist-deep flow be enough to freshen putrid waters? Question. Would a waist-deep flow be large enough to have many, many fish in it? Would a waist-deep flow sustain trees? Well, it would be better than a knee-deep flow, wouldn't it? <coughs> and then he leads them another thousand cubits he leads it through the water. And Ezekiel says, I couldn't cross it. This is a substantial flow. It's a compelling river. And this compelling river is bringing life wherever it goes, bringing salvation to many. It is sustaining, it's healing, it's providing sustenance, it's turning what is putrid into a living reality. That's God's picture for our region. Yes, God wants to see dead bones stand up. He wants to see them come together. He wants to see the body put there. He wants to breathe life into it. But my friends, the way that it happens is for there to be a flow of God. And that flow of God flows out of your temple and my temple. It's all contingent on what happens in the temple. What happens in the temple determines the flow out of the temple. Question to myself. Question to you. What's your temple life like? Is your temple life and my temple life generating a flow that's ankle deep, that's easily dismissed, that's walked away from, that has limited effect? Just a splash. Is it a knee deep flow? Is it a waist-deep flow, or is the flow that's being generated in our spirit a compelling flow that brings healing, that sustains, that turns people around, that sees many salvations, that sees life ministered? Don't we love the stories? You know, you read these stories about um, Whitfield and guys like that. You know, they used to turn up in places. They used to turn up in a town and people would be falling on their faces in repentance before they'd said a word. Must have a magnet in his pocket or something, eh? Well, how does that happen? That happens because there's a flow out of his life. He didn't have to speak a word. My friends, the extent that we allow the flow is the extent that the river's going to be effective. Scary, eh, to think that the flow out of our life can make the ground marshy and swampy and still things are left for salt. 
man, I don't want that to be my story. We need to talk about temple life. And look, Pastor Paul's going to turn the power off in a minute. I just want to say this. Our temple life requires a discipline. It requires time drawing on the presence of God. Oh, I haven't got any of that. Well, you better change something. It requires waiting on God. It requires us being strengthened by Him. It requires us to read and meditate in His Word. It requires us to pray and intercede. It requires us to worship and praise. We can go on and on. We can't open that up today. But I do want us to understand that what I'm sure all of us believe that God wants to touch our region. What we've what we've grasped hold of that there is hope. Man, I remember when I was just a wee bit younger. There was a guy called Arthur Wallace came to New Zealand in 1964. He spent six months in a batch on Bailey's Beach. He fasted and prayed extensively during that time. When he came out of that time, he started declaring New Zealand, there will be a substantial revival that will transform and transcend anything you've seen before, and it will start in the north. There were other guys around the, the, the early days of the charismatic move, like Woody Thompson and others, that were declaring that revival would start in the north. I have no doubt that that's the agenda of God. I have got no doubt that that's what God wants to happen. You know, we live in, a play, in, a, in, a, in a, an environment, if you like, that encourage us, encourages us to live by our preferences. If I feel like it, I'll do it. And if I don't feel like it, don't you think you can make me do it? Pastor Paul said, reach out to your neighbours. I don't feel like it. So I won't do it. I won't tell the pastor. It's got nothing to do with our preferences. You know, the other day I felt sorry for this person. I went down to the, I was down by the post office, crossed over the crossing, and there was this guy getting really annoyed at the ATM machine. He had his card, and he put his card in. I can't remember the number. I didn't know. <laughs> and it wasn't that tell mine. <laughs> you know, there are some things that there is only one way to access. Now he could have said, oh, hey, can't remember the number. 7951. 6-3, It's not what we think and it's not our preference that counts. You see, when we start talking about temple life, you can sit there and go, oh, 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 yeah, you're getting really legalistic now. We've got to do this and we've got to do that. How legalistic can you possibly get? You know, when we're talking about accessing what God wants us to enjoy, 
We've got to follow his principles. It sounds legalistic. It's not. It's the way to access the benefits of his principles. I was listening to this guy and he was talking about his kid. His kid started school. His kid was all excited. He had the Paw Patrol bag. He had the Lightning McQueen lunchbox. He had new shoes, new clothes. And he went to school. The first day he came back all excited. Mom, Dad, I painted the picture. The mother looked at the picture and said, he needs to go back to school. The second day he went to school all excited, came back so tired he fell asleep having his afternoon tea. Goes to school the third day and comes home and says, I'm not going tomorrow. And his mother said to him, why not? He goes, I don't like it. So mum was most concerned. So dad comes home and she says, oh, we've got a problem. He doesn't want to go to school tomorrow. Well, he's going to school tomorrow. But he doesn't want to. He's going to school till he's finished year 13. Is that legalistic? No, that's sensible because, you see, the, the, the father knew, and I think the mother did too, that if you go to school, if you do the necessary things, there will be a result. Not going to school isn't going to get the result. And sulking about not having a result, too bad to you. We need to follow the principles that God gives us to access what he says we can have. That's what builds a flow in the temple. Doing what God says to do is not to restrict us, it's to bless us. Now just talking about restrictions in the temple, the most, I was going to say potent, the most powerful place in the temple was the Holy of Holies. Did you know it was the smallest part of the whole tabernacle setup? Did you know there was no natural light in there? They, they, they used to say, and when, when I was a kid, they used to say, when the high priest went in there once a year, they tied a rope around his leg. Because if he went in there, he might die because of the holiness of God. That, that, is, that is trite. That holy place is the most life-giving place on the planet. The priest went through the preparations to make sure that he could come into the presence of God. My friends, when you and I make the preparations and we come into the presence of God, I tell you what, the river will start to flow. But it's too easy, isn't it? Oh, God, the river flow, let the river flow. I know I haven't read my Bible for a week, but I've been so busy. Let the river flow. And the Father's going, I wish you would come and spend some time with me. I want to impart life to you. Oh, God, give me a revelation. I don't know what to do. And he's saying, Come and spend some time because I want to open the annals of revelation for you. Oh, how come Pastor Paul gets all the good things out of the scripture? How come he understands that? When I read it, it's just boring words. Come and spend some time. It's all right, Pastor Paul, it's just your clock, it's going fast. <laughs> Yeah, we were singing, I think it was, Let the Fire Fall. Let the Fire Fall. <coughs> Let the Fire Fall, God. Be careful. You might get fried. But did you know that the Holy Fire falls on a prepared sacrifice? So look, I'm not trying to 
I'm not trying to bring a heavy word. I want this word to encourage and inspire you. If you believe that God can touch our region, if you believe that God can turn this town around, I want to tell you there's one way that it's going to happen, and that is to see the river of God released. And it's not released by magic dust. God could do it, but He has limited Himself to you and I because He wants to see us as mature sons. He wants to see us as mature daughters handling His Word, handling the anointing, and letting the life flow out of us into those around us. Can the band come today, please? I hope that um, from what we've said this morning that something has ignited inside you. Maybe the cruise is for Spain now. Oh, no. <laughs> I hope that there's something of a hunger being ignited on the inside of you. Don't rule yourself out because God wants to use you. You're not too bad. Your situation's not too hard. God wants to use you. There is a hope for our region. I trust this morning that an ember's been breathed on, maybe some lethargy, lethargy shaken, that a vision has been awoken, or a vision maybe has been sharpened. Can we stand together?